Hey everybody, welcome back to Talking Smack with Never Monday. I'm Steven and I'm here with my wife Katie and then Mac and Gary. If you met us all on our last podcast. You can check us out and our music and when our shows are at at Never Monday Band on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also check us out at Never Monday Band on YouTube. And of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that we're on Radio Public, Breaker, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and a couple others. And we are here tonight to talk cigars and guitars. Um, let's see if everybody can say hi. This is Steven. Mac, right here, hi. Gary, I'm right here. And Katie, hi. And by the way, Steven's voice isn't quite normal. Yeah, if I sound all stuffy, it's because I'm stuffy. He's so, sick. I'm sick, and now my sickness is recorded for posterity. Uh, tonight, we are smoking a variety of different cigars. I am smoking the Partagas Cifuentes Maduro in Toro. A really dark, full-bodied stick. And uh, Katie and Mac are smoking the Punch Signature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's uh, in Robusto, right? In Robusto. Nine cigars, it says. Yeah. And I'm smoking Kentucky Fire Cured. What size is this? That would be the uh, Kyotos. It's their uh, Cigarillo size. It's my favorite brand, but I haven't tried this Uh, size before. By Drew Estate. Yep. Very good stuff. We missed the Drew Estate thing tonight at the cigar bar. Yeah, local cigar bar, Cigar Daddy's. Yeah, my favorite brand, and we missed it. Oh, well, you know. We were practicing the things we give up for practice. Okay, so, tonight's topic, uh, we're going to talk about what it's like playing in a group. A lot of musicians go almost their entire lives just playing by themselves, practicing in their rooms, and uh, if they don't uh, spend their entire lives playing just by themselves, oftentimes they spend many years practicing and learning the instrument before actually playing with other people. And any of you who have played with a group, you know what I'm talking about when I say that it's very different than playing by yourself. I used to just play in the closet, but then I came out. <laughs> Mac is offended. I'm not offended. That was brilliant. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> Pride. Um, yeah, playing with a group is very, very different uh, than playing just by yourself. And so... Our roundtable tonight is just going to be discussing the finer points of that. We want to talk about how it's different and our experiences playing as a group as opposed to individuals. What are we drinking, by the way? Oh, uh, we're drinking Mirapon Paleo from Deschutes. Uh, and then I'm drinking Nitro again. You're drinking the Nitro Stout again? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Rebel. <laughs> Why can't you be like the rest of us, Gary? I have to be different. All right. I used to drink nitro in my closet, too. Oh, that explains so much. Gary with his, like, saxophone and, like, a a big mug of beer just, like, cowering in the closet. (laughs) Yeah, the beer interfered with my read, so it didn't work very well. I bet it tasted funny, didn't it? It did. It tastes like my normal spit. (laughs) Thanks, Gary. Well, I'd apologize, but if you're listening to our second podcast, you already know what you're getting. So, this is your own fault for being here. 
anyway, we're going to start with, uh, how is playing in a group different than playing or practicing by yourself? Like, um, what are some challenges you face playing with a group instead of practicing alone in your room? Well, I think um, one thing that just kind of comes to mind is a lot of times um, when I'm teaching and, and working on songs with students, we're kind of doing the opposite. We're taking something that is being done by a band and we're kind of arranging it for um, an individual player. So you end up picking and choosing the parts that you want to play um, and filling out the space a lot. Um, and then you kind of get used to doing that, playing by yourself. You're used to trying to take on every part and every aspect of the song, and you really almost have to untrain that when you start playing with a group. Yeah, I agree. I've had kind of an experience where I haven't had a lot of time to play by myself. I have been in a group, a band group, since I was in fifth grade, so I've known what it was like to play with people uh, for eight, nine years, and I didn't get to play a lot by myself because I was in band every single day. And playing by myself is different, so it's different because there's no one else there to hear me. So I'm more confident and different, but playing in a group, I tend to hide my sound, play softer, you know, point my bell to the ground, but you just kind of have to get over that. That's kind of really important. Your part is important in the group, and you just have to suck it up, be a man. <laughs> yeah, part. there's always that temptation when you're in the group to kind of hide, oh, yeah, <laughs> to kind of sure. tuck behind other people's parts and be a little quieter. I struggle um, with that a lot, for sure. Yeah. Hey, yeah, Mac, continue with that. I'd like you, like you to elaborate a little bit. So you were in both jazz band and wind ensemble in high school, yeah? Yes. And so you had people doubling your parts and whatnot. You had whole sections when you were in those ensembles. Not in jazz band and usually not in wind ensemble because we didn't have a whole lot of trumpet players, which is vastly different from what you see in fifth grade <laughs> yeah. and sixth grade. Like everyone wants to play the trumpet, but once you hit high school, it kind of weeds out all the people who aren't dedicated to their instrument. So you only have five trumpet players in five different parts, so each player gets their own part. Um, and it's just kind of interesting to see what the composer's ideas were to fit in all of the different parts and how they sounded together. Mm -hmm. And ev every part was important, like you couldn't hide behind the other trumpet players because your part was unique. Yeah. That's something I was always really jealous of, singing in choir, is you're just singing the same part with a whole bunch of other people and it just, I don't know, the idea of having your own individual part sounds so much cooler. <laughs> yeah, well, how was uh, playing in jazz band or wind ensemble different than playing with Never Monday? There's a lot more guitars, for sure. And <laughs> that there's guitars at all. Actually, there was a guitar player, but they didn't do much. So it's very different. Playing in Never Monday is also different because, well, I am the only person on my part, but it's different blending with the guitar than it is blending with saxophones and the piano and trombones. It's just completely different because it's made different. It's a different instrument. Yeah. Well, how different though? Like, I, like, I, I just, I know that I, I'm keeping you on the spot here, but uh, you're doing a great job. And I, I want to hear more, like, what it, what in particular is different about blending with a guitar as opposed to other brass? 
a guitar is a guitar. It's got strings. You don't use your face to manipulate the sound that, that unless, comes out of it. Unless and, you're Jimmy Hendrix. <laughs> <laughs> you're Generally. <laughs> yeah, it's different because the guitar has strings and you use your fingers to play it, whereas um, the instruments in jazz band, excluding the bass guitar and the drums, you use your face and it's all dependent on how each individual person tunes themselves and not a set, this is how you tune. Mm -hmm. uh, so blending with that is different than it is with a guitar because with a guitar you have to be much more in tune than you do with a jazz band or a wind ensemble. Um, right, not saying that we weren't in tune at all, but it's different. Yeah, because the guitar is in tune. You know, if, uh, and the rest of the band is If you do it right. <laughs> if you do it right. <laughs> now, what about you, Gay? What's your experience in this regard? Well, most of my experience has been playing on a worship team, so I'm kind of a standalone instrument. Mm -hmm. So it was more kind of how do I find ways to highlight. Our dog is moaning, by the way. <laughs> um, so it's more kind of how do you highlight the singers and not get in front of the singers, right? Hmm. Just a blending instrument. Which is really weird for an instrument that's not, I mean, it's more of a solo instrument. So right. to, to make that blend with like a worship team is just a totally different animal. Yeah. And Which we've like, had, I've, you know, we've had better sax players. I've played with an worship before, have a hard time adapting to worship because you are just blending. You're not supposed to be just standing out. So. It's a different technique, I think. Yeah. Like, what what exactly do you do? Do you uh, play along with the vocals? Do you play along with the guitar or the bass? Or do you just do your own thing? It's more do your own thing and kind of highlight different things. I, like I, crescendos and, you know. I have heard, melds. like, horns, like, a worship team where the trumpet was, like, literally just playing the melody the entire time. It was so distracting. Yeah, very distracting. <laughs> Yeah. Back in the church I grew up in, uh, Foothills Fellowship Church in uh, no word naming Littleton. Names. <laughs> oh, we can name names. They're half a continent away. Um, <laughs> they, uh, 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 when I was growing up in Littleton, Colorado, I remember there was this one guy. He, he uh, played for the worship team. He was a cop in his day job. I suppose he was much better cool at that. Uh, much better at that than he was playing uh, horn. He would play. He played trumpet. He played trumpet for the uh, worship band. Except most of the time, he decided he would play der Flugelhorn. Flugelhorn. Um, the most German <laughs> name for the least German-sounding instrument. You know? <laughs> like everything German sounds harsh and like you know, like really uh, fricative. You know. That's uh, a big word. Fricative. Yes, that's a. K those harsh constant sounds freaking is as opposed to plosives which are like <laughs> we're getting a linguistics lesson now <laughs> but you, you expect German to be all like fricative and everything and here's the flugelhorn which is like the soprano saxophone of trumpets no it's not <laughs> Max offended no it's, I've played the flugelhorn and it sounds much more like a French horn than yeah, the soprano sax I think it's smoother yeah it is like a lot smoother it's like a tenor trumpet yeah it is 
Okay, it is much smoother. But that that's that's kind of the point I was trying to make. It is like the the least percussive and jarring of the trumpet family. Yeah. And it's got the most German name, which I always thought was interesting. I would like to say I, I do play soprano, but they won't let me play it in the band. They have For good reason. They don't like For soprano. good reason. I, because I we're like a the... family, all-ages band. <laughs> <laughs> you play a soprano saxophone, and all of a sudden people start like taking off their shirts and wearing gold <laughs> chains around <laughs> their necks and being like, let's go back to a 70s porno house. <laughs> Brother. I want to get a big wig by Kenny G. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> Those like decadent, like classical era curls that he has. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, like, what's, what's really funny, and this is way off topic, but you're listening to this podcast and we have you whether you like it or not. Um,. I saw a picture of two famous jazz musicians side by side. One was Kenny G. And the other was Pat Metheny, a great jazz guitar player. Yeah, that's interesting. And of course, Pat Metheny uh, was a much better musician than Kenny G, in my opinion. But I never realized how similar they actually look <laughs> until I saw them side by side. Hmm. And it was like they could have been twins. It could have been yeah, for me, uh, playing in a group as opposed to playing solo was uh, a defining moment in my development as an artist because it taught me rhythm much better than a metronome ever could. And this is why I think that all musicians should try to play with other musicians because you're, this sounds terrible, but your shortcomings will become immediately clear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You could both be really tar- terrible, in which case both of your shortcomings would be really clear, you know. But it has a way of showing you, like, if you have problems with rhythm, if you have problems with pitch, uh, things like that, it comes out when you play with another person. You can play with recordings all you like, and that does help. But sometimes your own ear will uh, will lie to you when you're playing with a recording because you can fudge things and say oh well, I did that just fine and whatnot. but when you have to play with other people you have to be much more on top on on top of your game you know your rhythm and your uh, tuning and everything like that uh, and when I was in college I was learning music really for the first time because I was essentially self-taught uh, before I went into college and I didn't learn anything about music until I got into college so for all of you out there wondering is it too late for me it's never too late you can always learn more you can always learn your uh, scales learn uh, how to read music that sort of thing and all guitar players really should even though we don't much of the time guitar has a reputation for being a by ear instrument but I think that uh, it's very important that guitars uh, reject that stereotype and actually learn music theory, learn to read music, that sort of thing. And my girlfriend, who then became my wife after we graduated, she said that I should try out for the jazz band at the college. And at first I thought, oh, I'm not going to do that, but you know, I was not enjoying my time as a uh, member of the choir, <laughs> you know, because they didn't have many ensembles for guitar players 
so you played classical guitar by yourself most of the time, you know, and I tried out for the jazz band, and I got in, I was the guitar player, um, so I thought, hooray, this is good, and then I got into practice and started realizing that what my girlfriend was hinting at, but was too nice to tell me uh, flat out, was that I really was not very good at rhythm at all, and so... <laughs> After uh, after a sem <laughs> after a semester or so, I noticed a marked improvement mm -hmm. uh, in my in my uh, rhythm abilities and my ability to keep time. And I ended up doing the jazz band for two full years until I graduated college. And I don't really think I've had any similar struggle with rhythm since. So that is my main takeaway from playing with a group. It shows your shortcomings in a really harsh light but it also helps you refine your playing uh, to an incredible degree. Mm -hmm. And I don't think any one of us sitting here would say that being in Never Monday has made us worse musicians. Mm -hmm. no, definitely not, yeah. And I think we've all become better musicians by playing in a band together. It also raises the bar in terms of expectations. And yeah. So that's when I started taking lessons again and really started practicing. I think another thing, too, with playing with a group is that you're playing with other humans, and humans inevitably make mistakes. And you just kind of have to learn to roll with it and not just completely break down when you or someone else makes a mistake. You just have to continue on, like, oh no, Lenny accidentally went to the bridge and everyone else kept going. Poor Lenny, let's keep going. <laughs> we'll just leave him. Lenny is our bass player. <laughs> Wonderful guy, you might meet him on this podcast one of these days. Yeah, he's pretty cool. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Mac. It, it helps us both become better musicians, it also helps us take our mistakes and our shortcomings in stride and realize that the point of practice, the point of playing together with a group in many ways, is to uh, shed some of these problems, and you only do that by working through them. And I think, too, it's it's kind of um, liberating playing with a group because, you know, you do, when you're playing by yourself, you are trying to fill it all out and you're trying to play every part and you're trying to do your singing or you're, you know, you're trying to do all this and, and you don't get to focus as intently on the individual aspects of your playing. And when you don't have to worry about all those other pieces, um, you can really focus in on your playing and um, develop that individually in their space for you to be more artistic um, and I just think that's really valuable a lot of guitar players just uh, play all the time and uh, are very busy yeah I was but I, w I just played I was used to playing on worship teams and leading worship teams where like maybe there wasn't a drummer or I was really the the you know like laying the foundation yeah and everybody was kind of looking to me to make sure that it stayed steady and solid um and so i that's what i i couldn't focus on being more detailed and and artistic because i had to make sure that i was steady the whole time so people could follow me so a congregation could follow me um and uh i got really good at it one of my professors one time told me that i played like a man which is kind of sexist um but it was kind of funny at the time too Not kind of it was um, <laughs> um what was the professor's but, name uh <laughs> we don't want to get into that <laughs> was it Fleming? oh yeah it was Fleming. um but 
I really had to learn how to back off. But once I did, I discovered that I had all this space and freedom to really develop my playing in a way that I've ne never been able to before. And it was a lot of fun um, and just a totally different experience. So I really enjoy not being the front person and being able to just play. <laughs> Lucky. <laughs> Yeah, Sorry. Steven, you get that luxury. <laughs> I don't get that luxury. Yeah, I, 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 sometimes I think I would love nothing more than to just be the lead guitar player. You know. But I can't sing, so you're kind of stuck with that. <laughs> I can't sing tonight. I am sick. Um, but we did all right in practice. Um, sorry, offered my cigar. You might be hearing flames in the background. We have a fire going. Dragon fire. Keeps us warm. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. <laughs> In theory. Really. Yeah, the uh, next thing I want to move on towards, and this is a great segue from what Kay was saying about backing off and, you know, not trampling on other people and whatnot when you're playing in a group, is uh, I want everybody to go around and, and we're going to give your three best tips and tricks for playing successfully with a group. Three best tips and tricks, you know, because there's there's a million of them out there. I'm sure we'll, we can each come up with three. Um, with playing with a group, I mean, you got to play your part, right? There's the expectation of, okay, it's your solo time, or the, here's the written notes that you're playing. When you're on your own, it's totally different. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, so, so tips for doing that. Listen. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> we can both say it. Okay. You finish each other's sandwiches. <laughs> this isn't frozen. Yeah, summertime. It's actually quite melted. <laughs> anyway, um, listen, you can't put yourself in a bubble and just play your part. That'll make everyone else sound awful and yourself. You have to be able to hear all of the parts fit together and not just your own singular part. And that's basically the only point I had. I couldn't think of two others, so listen, and then listen, and then also listen. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's expand that a little bit. Um, you're talking about listening. What is that one thing you hear most self-obsessed uh, players when they start playing in a group setting, and they're doing a sound check and everything? What's the thing you hear the most? Anybody? I can't hear myself. I can't hear myself! <laughs> More of me in the monitor. <laughs> More of me in the monitor. I can't hear myself. I want to shoot everybody who says that all the time. What's that? That was weird. My that? wife just got hit by like a pine cone or something. Some, or water or something. That was weird. Some vendetta or something. <laughs> Bird didn't just poop on us. I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> right. I can't hear myself. You hear that all the time. I want to shoot people who say that all the time. Sometimes it's valid. Sometimes you literally cannot hear yourself at all. And that's a bad thing. But I would... I would wager that if you can't know what you're playing, even though you don't hear it, mm -hmm. you're not a very good musician. Well, and you, you shouldn't be playing with a group yet. You got to go back and practice some more. <laughs> you got to be able to hear yourself in context of everybody else too. If you're just hearing yourself, then you're not doing yourself any favors. You got to hear how it's blending with the rest of the group, or else that's not doing you any good. Yeah. So listening is very good. And so especially not listening to yourself, specifically listening to other people. Listen to the other members of your band. Because if you don't, nothing will sound good. Mm -hmm. you, know, you will sound really weird. Great example 
uh, I've got this DVD. Oh, DVD. Remember when that was brand spanking new? Uh, this show, uh, G3 Live in Denver. It's the G3 tour. Any of you guitar nuts out there, you know what I'm talking about. It's the tour where Joe Satriani every year gets together with two other guitarists and they tour and they have three big guitar sets and then they come together for a G3, G3 jam at the end. This one was G3 Live in Denver and I think it was like a 2004 show or something. Um, actually, Danny Gorklo, my guitar teacher from college, he was at that show. Uh, of course, you can't see him in the audience in the DVD, but he says he was there. Um, and this particular show had Joe Satriani and Steve Vai, whom Joe Satriani taught how to play, and then uh, Ingve Malmsteen. Oh, Ingve. See, <clears throat> the way this happens when the G, if you watch this DVD, and I'm sure you can see it on YouTube, G3 Live in Denver, the G3 Jam at the end, where they all three come out to play together, Steve Vai and Joe Satriani both are playing together, you can tell, and they're picking up what each other's throwing down. They're really in sync. They, they have a connection, they're watching what each other's doing, and they're playing harmonies together, and it just comes off great. And then way, and they're like, they're also like standing like side by side and doing like coordinated movements and things like that. And it looks really cool. And then way off to one side, doing his own thing that's almost like white noise over top all the other jamming that Satriani and Vi are doing is Ingve Malmsteen doing his own thing. <laughs> clearly not listening to anybody else. Oh, interesting. Clearly not paying attention. Clearly just trying to be all about him. What with the big hair that went out in 1993. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the scalloped frets that people thought was cool in the 80s for some reason. And, you know, he comes off as a total cartoon, uh, just like a caricature. Is he a great player? I mean, he's extremely talented, and he's extremely technically proficient. But he comes off like a joke, because he doesn't listen to what his bandmates are playing. He doesn't play with them. He just play, tries to play over them, does his own thing, and it's honestly silly to watch. So, listening to your bandmates, engaging with them, not trampling them, that's important. That's core to playing well with the group. And that leads into what I was going to say is that just space. Just let there be space. Don't feel like you have to play all the time. Um, and that's kind of, um, I don't know, like you hear that a lot, but it's so important when you're playing with a group to leave space and not feel like you have to play all the time. Because everybody has their piece of the puzzle. And if the puzzle is just all your piece and all everybody else's pieces, it doesn't look like anything. It's just a mush of pieces. Um, when sometimes I've heard before bands boast about having like this wall of sound and I'm like, I don't, I don't want a wall of sound. I want to actually be able to hear what's going on. Right. And so, yeah, um, don't Phil Spector me. <laughs> so, um, space is really, really important. Um, and yeah, just don't feel like you have to play all the time. Unless it's your solo. Unless you're solo. Then you have even to if, be heard. Well, yeah, but even if you're soloing, you let take there, a break. Let there be space. Let there be long tones. Let there be... You know, let it be melodic. Don't feel like you have to do, you know, all these fast runs. And all fast runs are cool, but but use them tastefully. Don't feel like 
you know. I'm not just saying that because I'm not a very fast player. Fast player. You're not a very fast player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, let, yeah, let me piggyback off that because uh, let me ask everybody a quick question. In terms of, you know, any instrument, actually, who's the best soloist that you've ever heard? Like, when you hear somebody soloing and you're like, that's who I want to sound like, who do you think of? Why do you pick it? Let me pick it. What about you, Katie? Um, Bonamassa or, Bonamassa or Satriani. Or Satriani. You got anybody, Mac? I don't think I have anybody. I mean, Louis Armstrong, like, he's, like, the top. Yeah, Louis Armstrong? Yeah. You know, when I, hear, when I ask that question of people, like, who's your favorite, like, soloist, your favorite shredder, and people are like, oh, Eddie Van Halen or you know, Randy Rhodes or these fast metal players. Honestly, I think one of the best soloists I've ever heard was George Harrison from the Beatles. Hmm. And he's not normally picked out as one of these guitarists that was an amazing lead player. But you listen to his solos, like on mm -hmm. Something, or uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, or any, uh, or, or one of my favorite of his, all time favorite of his solos is uh, on the uh, And I Love Her off mm -hmm. of Rubber Soul. He never was terribly flashy, he never played a ton of notes. He just picked a few good ones and he left tons of space, used long tones, tiny little melodic lines that he changed chained together. And he he relied a whole lot more on just a few tasty notes than he ever did on like these massive runs. You know, when you think about as a trumpet player, Louis Armstrong was the same way. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Charlie Parker was much the mm -hmm. same way. Um, did he he could play fast and whatnot, but he more often than not, at least from what I've listened to. Uh, focused a whole lot more on the choice of his notes than he did on just these fast Oh, he did get paid by the notes, so played <laughs> <laughs> You know who else, you know, you think about just really, you know, tasteful soloing is just like Billy Joe Armstrong and, and, and Green Day, you know, you can sing those solos, right? Like, how great is that? Like, that they're, you know, a lot of them are just super singable and, you know, like, would you rather have something you know, fly through a bunch of notes, or would you rather have something that gets stuck in your head? Right, yeah. You know, right. and and is just, like, really melodic, and I just love that. Yeah, that's what Zach Wilde said about Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin as well. Zach Wilde talked about how every, every single solo in uh, any Led Zeppelin song, you can pretty much sing it. And well, even, like, was... Kurt Cobain, I mean, like, he wasn't mm -hmm. a very technical player, right? But so many of his melodies were very... Very yeah. strong hook, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, yeah. it's calling Kirk Cobain not a very technical player. It's kind of like calling the ocean watery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and there goes the other half of our audience. Uh, How many halves in the audience do we have? You said half like five times now. Well, half of half of the what's left and half of what's left. He's well, not you a can only major. have. <laughs> One person, like that's the minimum. You can't have half of a person. Peter Dinklage. <laughs> I stand corrected. 
Steven, that's not very nice. He's like half the size of a person. He's not. He's still but, a whole person. He's a whole personality, though. Come on, I mean, entire like two personalities. Like yeah. he's fantastic. He's dual personality. No, <laughs> that's me. Oh. That's me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Mental health jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Paid for by viewers like you. Um, okay, let, let me. Uh, piggyback off a little bit more of this I know that I, I don't want to dominate the conversation so I apologize but you're talking about leaving space mm -hmm. you know and listening to the other band members and this is something that every musician struggles with especially if you're a musician that's good at all and especially if you know that you're good nothing gets in the way of a group more than ego yeah nothing gets in the way more than ego does uh cream famous blues rock band with uh, eric clapton um they self-destructed because of ego and the war of egos in that group mm -hmm. between eric clapton and jack bruce who uh would do silly things like buy bigger and bigger stacks for amplifiers to play louder and louder. There's a story of uh, Jack Bruce getting so many stacks for his bass amps to be so loud. And it, that one, sh there was a particular show where he was playing so loud and he wasn't paying attention to the group. And Eric Clapton and the drummer, whose name I forget, stopped playing and he didn't even notice in front of a massive crowd. That's like my worst fear, like by the way, that I won't know that I'll <laughs> that the band will stop and I'll still be playing or like like I'll be singing with a group and everybody stops singing and I'm still singing. That's like that's like a deep seated fear. Oh yeah, I feel of it. mine. I feel it. Is there a name for that paranoia? <laughs> <laughs> I like have nightmares about that. <laughs> so you know, that's that's uh, that's that's a few fire points. I guess we didn't get to three a person, but we hit hit a couple of really big ones. Uh, our time is almost up, so I want to do one last fun thing before we call it an evening here. And this is uh, kind of Max brainchild to do something fun and not connected to the previous topic. Every podcast. Now, if you watch John Oliver's last week tonight, he does this like. And now this sort of thing. So let's go. Let's do this. And now this. I want to go around and we talked last time about how each of us really enjoys listening to Joe Bonamassa. He's a big influence on all of ours playing. So, what's your favorite Bonamassa tune? I have to choose. Yeah, you can pick two. I have two, so you can <laughs> yeah. pick what's two. What's the also? one that we've covered before? But uh, steal one. your heart away. No, 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 no. Um, Driving Towards the Daylight. Yeah, Driving Towards the Daylight. That's, that's my favorite. <laughs> that's one of my favorite ballads ever. Yeah. Yeah, Driving Towards uh, the Daylight. There's just so much feeling in that. Gosh. I feel like me. Uh, my two favorites are Dislocated Boy and mm, uh, Black Long Heartache. I yeah, love Black Long Heartache. It's just mm -hmm. like a headbanger. You can turn it up really loud and your speakers rattle and yeah. it's just an experience to just be enveloped in that song 
Which is kind of funny to me to call it, call it a headbanger because it's mostly like an acoustic tune. And it's got like a nickel harpa <laughs> on mean, it's, it and everything. It's great though. Like, it's a headbanger to me. Yeah, well, I I agree with you. I mean, it's it's amazing the way he could turn that tune into uh, into something that you really jam to, even though it's when, when you pull apart the different aspects of it, it's actually kind of softer than what he normally does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hang on, hang on. Yep. Black lung heartache. Yeah. I really. Huh, what about Drive? Do you like Drive? It's almost like a pop I love version. Drive. I love that. I really one. do like yeah. Drive. I, yeah. I really. Yeah. That's probably. That's in my top. I like, also different shades of blue. Is just like yeah, every cool. time I hear that song, I'm like, oh, it just it gets to you. Also, to say like um, this isn't one song, but I'm a huge fan of um, the stuff he does with that heart. Um, and, and some hard. of those, yeah, like um, Nutbush City Limits or yeah, he's got um, the, Them Their Eyes. And I know a lot of them are covers, but those are, those are no, They're all covers. They're, yeah. they're all covers on those albums. He's like three of them with her now, right? Yeah. There's, uh, Black Coffee is the Black Coffee is the newest one. The first one was Don't Explain. A great cover of a Billie Holiday tune there. And uh, the second one was Seesaw. Yeah. You know, your love is like a seesaw, baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I would say my favorite song by him, gosh, that's that's really difficult. There are ones that I keep going back to all the time, but... Midnight Blues is excellent. Well, that's a that's Gary Moore tune, though. Oh, that's yeah. true, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that... Uh, God, that's a difficult question for me. But if I had to pick one that was most influential on me, uh, talk, I talked about how the first time I heard him was his album, You and Me, mm -hmm. uh, from 2006. And the very first song off that album is High Water Everywhere. Mm -hmm. It was about Hurricane Katrina and the floods in New Orleans. And it's got a riff that starts out, and I just, yeah. like, it takes me away every time. I, I would have to pick that song because... Even though I love all of his music, and I probably have favorites different times, that one I keep coming back to and I always play. Ever since I first learned how to play it, gosh, 10 years ago, um, I, I still play that tune. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, that's it. A little plug for Joe Bottomus at the end of the podcast here. Uh, like I said, you can check us out at Never Monday Band on Facebook. Instagram and Twitter and YouTube. And if you're listening to this podcast, I hope you found it on Radio Public or one of the related services. Uh, last thing, we still got our shows coming up Saturday, June 23rd, 8 p.m. Week from tomorrow. The Only Underground, Birthday Blash and Blues, playing with Black Shepherd and Lemmings. Please come out and see us then. We won't have our usual lineup. We have a stand-in drummer, but He'll do a good job, and we'll rock your world, hopefully. So please come and see us. And then the next closest show after that is Capital Lake Fair in downtown Olympia. We're playing 3 to 4 p.m. Saturday, July 14th, just before the parade. So come down there for the parade. See us the hour beforehand. We'll be debuting a few new songs. And this should be up in just a couple days. Uh, look for... Uh, the next installment of our podcast in a week. Good night.